Welcome to Focused, a productivity podcast about more than just cranking widgets. I'm Mike Schmitz, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. David Sparks. How's it going today, David? Excellent, Mr. Mike Schmitz. How are you today? I am doing well. I'm very excited. We have a special guest here today. Welcome to the show, Mike Rohde. Hey, guys. How you doing? It's nice to be back with uh, with David, and uh, nice to meet you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, actually, when I reached out to you, I for- had forgotten that you had done some work with David. You did the illustrations for his email field guide. You've also mm-hmm. done illustrations for rework, remote, and a bunch of other stuff. And you are basically the sketchnote guy, which is a topic that I am very interested in. So wanted to have you on the show to talk about the the topic. And uh, yeah, really excited to to hear what you've got uh, going on. I know you got a, a notebook, which we'll get into that you're you're launching. And also, uh, important to me anyways, you are a fellow cheesehead. You live in Milwaukee. So <laughs> we've had a couple of those lately. I do. I do. Awesome. So I want to start here, Mike, and just kind of ask you how you got started with sketchnoting. Where did this whole idea come from? Well, it's it started with pain, actually, which uh, many solutions start with, I suppose. Um, I had gotten to this point in my life where I was taking notes, uh, almost like a court reporter. I had these big notebooks I carried around. I used a pencil because I was preparing for mistakes and the option to fix them. And when I would go and uh, attend meetings or go to conferences or what have you, I would. I felt like I had to write everything down, and then at some point, some magical point in the future, I would go through all my notes and find the the gems and the the valuable information. But uh, reality uh, set in pretty quickly, and I realized that writing all these notes actually was a big pain for me because I would have to be the one to find the gold nuggets in the forest. So um, I found that it just was not sustainable. I was in this weird place. I was really good at taking notes, and I hated it. So that's uh, that was a sign. And I felt like uh, maybe the way out of this was the way out of many design uh, situations, which is to put constraints on myself. Uh, typically, clients would put constraints on me as a designer. Uh, but in this case, I thought, what if what if I put, could, uh, put some constraints on myself and see what ha- would happen? So the next conference that I was attending down in Chicago, I decided what would happen if I just did a 180-degree turn? What if I took a small pocket notebook and a pen? And the two elements of that were it's too small to write everything, so I couldn't do that. And then I didn't have my pencil to fix mistakes. So I had to really focus on thinking about the things that I would put on the page. So that combination of those two things led to a third thing, which was, well, why couldn't I just analyze the information I'm hearing right in the moment and make decisions about what to capture as I'm doing it rather than having to dig through lots of notes later. It's, it'll be much easier for me to process and I'll actually want to review them in the future. So that's what I did. And uh, my experiment actually worked out pretty well. I, I found that I enjoyed the experience. I felt like I had plenty of time compared to writing everything down to think about things and decide what to capture and what not to capture. And suddenly I had all this free time to actually start drawing and doing lettering, which I love, uh, in my notes. So it became this thing that felt like I was sketching and I was taking notes at the same time. So the name Sketch Notes was just appropriate. And then from from there, I just kept doing it and uh, led to writing books and speaking all over the world and uh, conferences beginning and people all over the place doing this uh, this process, this technique. Yeah, I mean, you really started a movement, Mike, because like I, I just spoke last year at the ABA Tech Show and... They had a person there that with a big butcher board who was sketch noting our talk. 
and doing it live in the room. And then afterwards they had displayed a bunch of those sketch notes for the different docs. I feel like that um, you touched a nerve when you, when you stumbled on this. I think so too. And the, the interesting thing that I hadn't known at that time was there was actually another movement that had been going probably uh, since the late 70s. A guy named David, David Sibbett sort of initiated this thing. It's called graphic recording. And that's typically when you, if you've gone to, have ever been to a conference where someone's on a big four by eight sheet of core, uh, foam core or some kind of board or butcher paper or something, uh, that's what they're doing. And it's a technique that's been around a little bit longer than uh, the work that I did, but I didn't know about it. It was something I was unaware of. Um, so I just followed my nose to what made sense for me. And it turned out that many of the principles that I was using, other than the size, were actually consistent with what they were doing and the things that they had verified. And they have professionals who go and do that on a large scale in the front of a room. Um, sketchnoting simply gave that power to individuals to do that in the back of the room uh, and, and a little bit more um, personally. So for the folks listening who haven't fully grokked sketchnoting yet, kind of explain what you do. If you're sitting in a conference or a meeting, how do you sketchnote? That's a great question. And was, on, a, on an audio mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> yeah, and then I've, said, I've actually done that before, so it is possible. <laughs> um, so what, what I do, sketchnoting is, the way I think about it is I call it notes plus lots of times. So it's not like you stop writing notes. Like it's not like you st- stop doing letters and such. That's still part of it. Uh, what, you're, what you're doing is you're simply adding visuals to those notes if that's what you feel is most appropriate to capture an idea. So if you have an image that pops in your head or the slide of the presenter is really interesting and you want to capture that information, a map or a chart or something like that, um, that you would draw that in there. Um, and it's the intention of wanting to include those images in with the writing. The combination of the two, I think, is what the powerful part of it is. Um, there's been uh, some studies that that show sort of this analysis of information uh, by hand. The physical doing of it has some benefits over uh, keyboarding. So that's one aspect and then retention uh, is a big benefit, too, because you're, you're sort of interacting with the information. But basically, what I teach is very, very simple drawing. One of my mantras, if you run across me, is ideas, not art. And what that means is not that I don't like art. It's that many people feel that they're constrained by being great artists. And so if they can't be a great artist, they just don't do anything. And so my approach is, well, what if we broke down drawing into a simple way for you to approach it? Something more like building with Legos or something. If I gave you five shapes that you could use to construct um, images, would that help you? And in many cases, that really helps lots of people to think about drawing in a much simpler way. It sort of sets the criteria for what what drawing means more to capturing ideas and less about how beautiful the art is. And I think that's really important because so many people maybe stop drawing in grade school or junior high and they haven't drawn in their 40, 50 years old and they still draw like they were a kid in in grade school, right? So how do they bridge that gap? Well, providing them with a simple structure helps. And then emphasis on lettering and drawing simple things. And once you get that momentum going, um, it's a lot easier to approach drawing. So it's really that combination of drawing and writing together and the strength of each, you know, making the combination uh, much more valuable. You know, it's interesting because Mike, you were back on the Mac Power Users in 2013. It was a few years ago. And, um, uh, I was one of those guys who felt like, well, I'm not a good artist, so this would never work for me. And you convinced me to try it during that appearance. And I started this technique, which is similar to sketchnoting in the sense of 
Um, as an attorney, often I find myself standing in front of a guy in a black robe, right? And they, uh, and you have oral arguments you're making. And for most of my career, I would write out these notes. I'd, I'd type them or I'd handwrite them. I'd have these detailed notes in front of me. And what I found was the, the man or the woman in the black robe would ask me a question and I'd look down and just see a bunch of word soup on my page, I have no idea. Those notes were never useful to me, you know, to the extent I would memorize them, they would be helpful, but to actually look at them and get something useful out of them never worked. And the problem I solved with sketch noting was I would sketch note my oral argument notes. Like I would put little pictures and, and draw big numbers. And, you know, I just used the techniques from Mike's book, but I wouldn't be doing it while I was listening to someone. I would do it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And then I would stand up in, in the courtroom and I'd have this had a paper in front of me where it looked like I had written cartoons on it or something, but it was actually quite useful for me to actually access information off that piece of paper if I needed it. And, um, you know, getting to the idea of this show focus, that's exactly the kind of thing, uh, kind of trick you want to have up your sleeve. Yeah. I, you actually, a, a sample of your work actually appeared in my second book, the sketch note workbook and showing and talking about that very process. Um, yeah. And, and if you want to see bad art, there you go, baby. Just take yeah, a look at, yeah. <laughs> at my page in Mike's book. I forgot. We'll I, I forgot. It. I gave you one. <laughs> yeah. So that I think that the, the the other thing that I learned. So initially, sketch noting really started as this way to deal with information per, for myself to solve this problem. What I started to realize was there's lots of ways that sketch noting could go, and that was one of those things, right? Where it's not necessarily just capturing meetings or conferences, but why couldn't why couldn't I use these techniques to think, right? To think on a whiteboard, to think on a piece of paper, to prepare notes for my presentation that are not, you know, I'm not looking at my PowerPoint. I'm not reading from a typed, you know, piece of paper with all this information. What if I really focus it down to, like you, these elements that I want to touch on and they're visual so I can glance down at them and that structure helps keep me on track. I think that's opening it up that way really does help it be applied in many ways. It doesn't, it, it's not so limited in that sense. Yeah. One of the main ways that I use it, which is probably a little bit strange for a lot of people, but I use it for sermon notes at church <laughs> because my pastor will be preaching. And I had this aha moment one day when I was thinking back, like, what did he preach on last Sunday? And I couldn't remember. I had all of the notes. I had pages of digital notes. I could go back and search for something specific if I wanted to find it later real easily but day to day, it wasn't helping me. <laughs> and I wanted to retain more of that information. And I know that's one of the big benefits of sketch noting is the re- retention benefits. You share some statistics, I think, in your first book about how you retain more information when you take analog notes and kind of sketch noting that that's that to a, a, another degree. But I was also in the camp where I didn't think I could do it because I didn't consider myself an artist. I hadn't drawn for a long time. And my first sketch note, actually, before I read your books, I found out about the topic. And my first sketch note is two stick figures and then a bunch of words on the page. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned something which I want to come back to because this really helped me. And I think it's really going to help listeners who are maybe thinking about testing this out, but they don't know where to start. You mentioned the five different shapes. That is a really important key. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, what those shapes are and kind of how you can use them together, like Lego, like you mentioned? Yes, exactly. Um, One of the things I realized as I set out to write this book was, if I can't convince people they can draw, I'm not going to sell many books, right? So that was a key thing to think about 
and I had been thinking about it for a while. Um, the thought was, what if I broke down drawing into this simple approach, like putting Lego pieces together? And as I thought about it, I realized, well, if I was really pushed to break down basic elements into maybe five, I would pick a square, a circle, a triangle, a line, and a dot. And what I found is as I started playing with those different elements that I could build pretty much anything that I wanted to visually just using those shapes, especially if you have a, you know, a generous um, description of what a circle is. Well, a circle can be an oval or a square can be a rectangle or, you know, those kind of things. And um, by combining those, it sort of, it makes it easier to think of this palette of five things that you work with. If I can draw those five things, I'm just looking at objects and thinking, how can I break that down using those five objects or the image in my head? How can I take those five uh, elements and build something with it? And um, through many workshops uh, have kind of proven that that's, that system really works. It sort of opens things up and it makes things simpler because I think the challenge with um, drawing in general is if you're thinking about it more from an art background, you're sort of trying to draw what you see. Uh, you're trying to be exact in proportions and you're trying to do perspectives. And those are valuable things if that's your intention. But I think a lot of times maybe that's overkill for just simple idea capture. And by by providing this simple palette, it gives you a, a, a better entry point. You're not so – you have so much overhead thinking about all the shading and perspective and proportions and like that starts to get in your way of actually doing something. And by having these five elements – it sort of gets you moving like, well, I've got five elements. How can I put them together to make this work? So that's that was really the intention there. And I, I see that seems to really help lots of people break through that that expectation or that barrier. Yeah, I mean, art in this case doesn't matter. I feel like it's the same thing with handwriting when people are hung up on like saying, well, I'd like to try to do a handwritten journal, but my handwriting's really bad, so I don't want to do it. Who cares? Nobody. It's for you. It's for nobody else. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way with sketch notes. I, my sketch notes are very rudimentary, but in my brain they work. And the process of putting them together uh, connects things in my head that wouldn't otherwise get connected. So I, I don't care. It's interesting that um, when I teach this, the people who are non-artists actually seem to accept this idea and run with it much faster than those who are trained as artists. Like there's something, having been trained a little bit or knowing what's possible in some ways becomes this stumbling block a little bit uh, where people who feel like they have no drawing skills or no drawing background, um, they don't have anything to unlearn in that sense. So I th- it's interesting to me that people who who would come in and raise their hand and say, I can't draw within like half an hour are actually drawing and getting excited about uh, how confident they are in what they can do, which is, again, super rudimentary and stick people and little objects. But if they came in the room and they couldn't draw and they left the room and they could, that's that's a pretty shocking, amazing thing for many people. One of the things I really like about Mike's materials are if you get his book and you go through them, Mike is a good artist, but the art in there is not, you know, it's not super fancy. You know, I mean, when, when Mike did the illustrations for my email book, he did amazing artwork for that. But, but the stuff he's using for the sketch notes is basic and it's using those building blocks he teaches and I think that's the way it should be. I mean, for a lot of people, you start to get into stuff like this and you go on, you know, what's the first thing you do? You go on Google and you look for bullet journal or whatever. And you see these pages made by these people that look like works of art, every inch of them, you know, where they've, 
you know, it, it's like made and you, it's it just completely intimidating and makes you think you could never do this mm-hmm. stuff. But um, it doesn't need to be that way. And I think the way Mike teaches it, I think, is really great because it doesn't put that extra burden on you. Yeah. The other thing with that is I, I was in that place where I was seeing the things that people were creating with sketch notes. And I'm like, well, I want to try this. Don't consider myself an artist. And you mentioned at the beginning, Mike, how you changed the way you took notes and you went with a a pen and a small notebook. I feel like the pen is an important tool choice, which we should unpack. But that's also one of the things that terrified me (laughs) because I knew if I made a mistake, there was no one going back (laughs) with a pen. And I tend to be a bit of a, a perfectionist. So I would draw something and then compare it to the image I had in my mind of these works of art that people had created using sketch notes. And then I would get discouraged and feel like, oh, this really isn't for me. But once I got that that realization that it's really just the building blocks and it is ideas, not art, doesn't matter if anybody ever sees this but me, it's really just for the retention benefits. That's kind of the thing that allowed me to the freedom to, to do that. But do you mind just talking a little bit about the the importance of the that specific tool? Uh, I feel like for me personally, and I'm interested to get your perspective on this, once I got used to using the pen, it kind of forced me to keep with a flow. I couldn't just hit pause and then focus on the one thing. My brain had to, it kind of supported my brain in keeping moving with what the speaker was saying. Is is that the intended effect? It is actually. So I love pencil. I use it in many applications. Um, you know, like any 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 person using the right tool makes sense. And there's places where pencil makes sense. I think the problem with pencil and sketchnoting can be, not always, but it can be that you feel like you have an out, right? If I do it in pencil, I can erase it. So you've always got this backup plan or this out. And I think in some ways going with pen sort of moves you to this place of analysis and being okay with putting things on the paper, even if they're imperfect. And I think it goes to a deeper mindset. The deeper mindset is every one of these sketch notes that you do is an experiment. And you're probably going to fail at some of these. I fail when I do sketch notes all the time, but I look at it as a learning opportunity, right? If I look at it as an experiment I can learn from as opposed to some performance that I can pass or fail, uh, that just changes the whole dynamic, right? So if I'm using a pen and I goof something up, I might actually laugh at what I did and turn it into something silly or um, learn that, you know, not to do that or to how can I uh, change my approach to that when I come to that situation again? You know, all these um, mistakes are in some ways a gift for you to see like, well, how if I could do that again, what would I have done differently there? And then you sort of tuck that away as the, the approach that you might take the next time you encounter that and, and try that. That's your new experiment. When I run into this X situation, I'm going to try this Y solution and let's see how that works. And you keep on uh, making these experiments until you find a system that works pretty well for you. I think uh, that's that's the beauty of the pen. It forces you to make decisions. It's sort of a, it's either on the paper, or it's not on the paper, and that sort of it, that cascades into other decisions that you don't see on the surface, but are actually happening in there in that in that decision. So, follow up question to that then: How do you feel about? Digital sketch noting because confession time. I moved away from pen and paper. I use Good Notes, and I do have an undo button now. But it seems to work for me. <laughs> uh, you it sounds like are a big analog fan, though. So, what kind of are the advantages, disadvantages, in your opinion, of analog versus digital sketch noting uh, applications? 
Great question. Uh, for many years, I avoided the iPad because I tried it, and the problem was the stylus is never fine enough to really compete with pen and paper. Um, when the, the iPad Pro came out, um, I waited for the 9.7 because I just wanted something easier to travel with for me. And now I currently have the 11 inch. Um, I really like it. And I think, again, it's like any tool, like the fact that I use often pen for sketch noting is uh, because of what it challenges me to do. It's not anything I have against the pencil. In the same way with digital tools, using the iPad has definite benefits, um, but it also has limitations too, right? Um, there's been times where I thought I was going to do sketch noting and I pulled the old iPad out and, oops, I forgot to charge it last night. Now I've got 3% battery left, right? That could be an issue uh, that you would face if you rely on it, right? So there's there's always downsides to every tool. You're always looking at trade-offs. I would say the benefits are just what you identified with the iPad is you have an undo button and you can make some changes. You can move things around on the page. Uh, that's sometimes what I do when I do sketch notes. So the other challenge um, with the iPad is actually the same thing as the benefit, right? The fact that you can undo and you can change things is actually could become a problem, right? Because you can never be done with something. You're always going to want to futz with it or fiddle with it or make it better, or in the moment, you might get lost on fixing things instead of actually listening to what you're supposed to be listening to. So that's on the flip side. The challenge with the iPad or any kind of digital tool like that is it's unlimited, right? There's something interesting about using the pen and paper, the finality of it, right? If you make a mistake, it's not going to go anywhere and you have to deal with it. It's a little bit like um, doing stand-up comedy, right? You you let that joke out and it's either going to work or it's not and you can't take it back. And there's something in a way exciting about that at some point. Um, but, you know, it really depends on what you're going to do with it. I would say if you want to have that flexibility to make changes, which in many cases is important, I think the iPad can be really useful. Uh, you can store lots of stuff on there and, and it's no thicker than a than a slim notebook, right? So, there's lots of benefits there, but on the downside, you have to charge it and care, you know, care and feeding. Uh, another thing to consider is you might really get used to your your drawing tool, and then the software developer might decide, well, we don't need that feature, or we're going to change that feature right underneath you, and suddenly the thing you're used to is changed, right? So now all that skill that you built up using the tool might suddenly change on you without any warning and without your input, right? So pen and paper. Um, has been around for a long time, and it's probably going to be pretty similar in the future. So, again, the way I approach sketchnoting with either tool is what's my goal with the tool and what do I want to get out of it? And then that drives me toward which one I choose. But I use both uh, interchangeably and like both uh, analog and digital tools. This episode of Focused is brought to you by Ahrefs. Whether you work for a big brand, run your own small business, or do freelance work, Getting traffic to your website is always a challenge. There's just so much competition out there. Ahrefs is here to help you by giving you an all-in-one SEO tool set that solves that problem. It gives you what you need to rank your website in Google and get tons of search traffic. You can delve into how your competitors are getting traffic and why. You can see the pages and the content that send them the most traffic. And you can get estimated search volumes with their Keywords Explorer tool so you can see how well a piece of content is likely to perform before you write it. And if you are getting search traffic already, you can use features like the top pages report to discover which pages are bringing in the most traffic and then figure out how to replicate that success. 
Ahrefs is a seriously clever way to debunk the mystery surrounding SEO. I first became aware of Ahrefs when I attended a talk at the Craft and Commerce Conference this summer presented by Sam O. Sam creates the YouTube videos for the Ahrefs team, and in just one hour of sitting in his session, I felt like I had a much better grasp on SEO than I had before I walked in. And more importantly, I felt like I knew what I needed to do moving forward, the kinds of things that I wanted to create based on what people needed. In my opinion, that's one of the coolest things about Ahrefs is this keyword explorer tool where you can punch in the keyword that you are looking for, but then it gives you all of the questions that people are asking around that keyword and a whole bunch of additional keywords, which are a little bit more specific that people are also looking for. So you can get insights on what people really want before you decide to sit down and create a piece of content. I also like the site audit tool, which can instantly show you all of the things that are broken on your current website. So things like meta descriptions that are missing or links that are broken. And you can export this entire list into a CSV file, which you can then give to somebody to fix your website if you're working with a team, or you can go in and fix things manually by yourself. It's really not that hard once you know where to look. And that's what Ahrefs does so well, in my opinion, is it makes the mystery surrounding SEO simple and approachable, even for someone like me who was always put off by the idea of SEO. The truth is you really should be doing this stuff and Ahrefs makes it easy for you to do so. So go to ahrefsrightnow.com. That's A-H-R-E-F-S.com and sign up for their seven-day trial for just $7. You can get reports on your website, see what's performing well, and figure out what your next move is. If you're really serious about trying to figure out SEO, go sign up for that trial and look at the information that it gives you. I guarantee you it'll be worth your while and you'll want to sign up for the whole thing. Whether you've got a personal website you want to get a following on or your company needs more traffic to convert into sales, go there now. That's ahrefs.com, A-H-R-E-F-S.com to get that $7 trial. Our thanks to Ahrefs for their support of Focused and all of Relay FM. Yeah, it's interesting, Mike. Uh, I, I'm a pass holder at the Southern California Disney Parks, and at California Adventure, they have this place you can go in and learn how to draw Mickey Mouse or whoever the character of the week is. And the fun thing about it is they give you a big piece of paper, and they give you a pencil, but they don't give you an eraser. And it's always mm-hmm. interesting when you go in there, There's a, people say, well, where's the eraser? They're like, oh, no, that's okay. Mistakes are fine. Just keep drawing. And that they really like that's built into the system. And I always uh, think about that when I go in there and, and learn how to draw somebody. But the, um, but for me, because uh, I went through the same thing, Mike has kind of landed on the side of good notes. I'm surprised I didn't as well because I'm a nerd and I always have an iPad with me. But uh, what really got me with the idea of, of bringing some paper and pen back into my life was just the sheer volume of work I do digitally that I found that I I like the experience of using a pen and paper separately you know i i just once in a while having something that i do in a different medium uh feels good to me and then because i'm a nerd i have workflows to capture all that digitally very quickly and so i don't i don't you know i'm getting the benefit of digital but i'm using the paper and pen and for me it's just simply uh even though knowing i don't have an undo button on my pen uh, I like the, I just like the change in medium. 
The mode switching, yeah. And I also yeah. like the point you made, Mike, about how paper doesn't run out of battery. <laughs> it's a good point. Right, uh, right. One of the things I do like about GoodNotes is the ability to have all the different tools. Like when I was doing SketchNote paper pen, I was using a couple different colors. How do you mm-hmm. do that? Do you use different colors or do you use just a single color? Where do you find that balance with the, the number of pens and notebooks and things that you, you bring with you? Typically, um, for a long time, I just did black and white in the beginning. I was just focusing on the content and the structure, so I didn't really add color. Later in my uh, career doing this, I started introducing color as a new experimental angle. Uh, and what I would do is, again, I feel like constraints are, are a good friend to challenge and experiment with. So what I would do is take one black pen, like a flare pen, and then maybe one other color or two another color, maybe two colors. And I would limit myself to just those Um Sometimes what I would do is focus on the content during whatever the event uh, would be. Like uh, I do sermon sketch notes as well, and that's where I do my, a lot of my experimentation because um, I can I know the consistent message is going to come. I roughly know the, the length of it, and I can start gauging some of the details. So I would go in and say, I've got a notebook, I've got a black pen, and I've got a green and a blue, and I can use those. Those are my three elements. And most of the structure would be done in the black, and then I would highlight in the color. But then I would push myself next week and say, well, I've got to use more green this time. And I would start bringing that in. So I think it's good to have some limits. Like if I had 20 colors and I was sort of jumping between, um, I think it would get in the way of kind of what David was talking about, having a flow, right? Having some kind of a process that you follow and limitations. Um, I know switching over to digital, I have friends who use an app called Procreate, which is really designed for illustration and painting and stuff. Um, And uh, it can be very daunting because there's so many options, but the solutions that my friends have done is they pick like three different nibs that they use and they build a standard template for the page size and they have a standard set of layers. So when they come into a new project, they sort of have these familiar limitations that they work within. And I think that can be helpful in Anything, even beyond sketchnoting, is having, here's the tools that I use and here's how I use them. And it sort of sets the foundation and then you can sort of be creative within those bounds. I think that's helpful. Tensional constraints <laughs> comes up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. And my sketchnoting method, honestly, is just one pen. I don't use any color or anything. I just, whatever pen I've got, I just make a sketch note, and it's fine. You know, it, it looks nicer when you add color. I know Mike is partial to orange. Every time I see something online you've done, it's got some orange in it. Yeah. But, but the, um, uh, but you know, it doesn't, I guess my point is this really doesn't have to be fancy. And, um, and, and I want to talk about for a minute, you had uh, mentioned some statistics in your sketchnote handbook, but just, I do think there it's worth giving some airtime to the concept of stopping and, sorting something you're listening to out in your brain and then figuring a way to stick it out through your pen into a piece of paper in a creative way. Uh, All the benefits you have when you do something like that in terms of retention and understanding. Well, the most, there's more, the good news is there's more research coming. People are very interested in this space and I'm sensing more research is being done. It's moving into education. That's something we can talk about too. Lots of teachers are super excited about sketchnoting as an application for students to understand and, re- and have retention. Uh, one of the th- one of the s- studies that I cite quite a bit is, um, you can look it up, it's uh, Mueller and Oppenheimer, and the test they ran was they pitted uh, keyboardists against longhand note-takers. So they, w- they weren't even doing sketching, really, they were just writing longhand. 
and they would watch basically a TED Talk and take notes. And then they would test them immediately and see what the retention rate was. It was pretty equal. Uh, but what they found is when they returned and did retesting, I think it was a week later, some period of time later, uh, the ones who did longhand notes actually retained a lot more information. And what they what they sort of came to was the problem with keyboard note-taking, unless you're very uh, intentional about it, tends to move to your verbatim notes. And the problem with verbatim notes is you're not really analyzing. You're just typing what you're hearing. You're just passing through your brain and going through your fingers in some sense, right? Um, whereas at some point, if you're doing longhand notes, you just like, I can't keep up with this. I can't write every word they're saying. So I have to start analyzing and making sense of this so I know what to write. So it shifts your mind into a different space. And they found even after running the test and seeing this and then warning the keyboardists, like, don't type verbatim notes, um, the keyboardists had a real hard time switching out of that mode where the longhand note takers uh, didn't seem to have that issue. So I suspect there's more research coming. I think there's lots of verification that uh, there's retention that's happening. Um, anecdotally, I see it a lot with teachers saying that their students, uh, when they engage with the information uh, with sketch notes, that the retention levels are higher, the engagement levels higher. It's something they've created, so they have ownership in it. So there's all these uh, subtle things that are happening uh, behind the scenes that help them feel really one with the information that they are learning in a different way than if they just watched a video or type notes or you know, in these different ways that are less personal. Yeah, I have so many questions about that, though. Like, I, what if the students were on a digital device where they had to outline as opposed to just yeah. write verbatim notes? What if they were on something like an iPad with good notes versus a sketch notebook? Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want to overgeneralize that. I do think that, yes. you know, you can learn a lot using digital tools. But um, it is, nonetheless, very interesting results. Yeah, that, that study, I had heard about that before I discovered your books, Mike. And that's kind of the thing that got me moving in the direction of sketch noting because I recognized that the people who were taking analog notes, they couldn't keep up. So what they were doing basically was synthesizing the information and writing down the main idea or the main thought. And then kind of the progression in my head was, well, if I attach a visual image to that idea or thought, I'm going to remember it further down the road. And I, when I was in school, I was an expert test taker. <laughs> I, I got pretty much straight A's, but I could not remember anything after the, the test. I knew the information in short-term memory, uh, but then after that, it was basically gone. And I recognized in my adult life that I wanted to retain the things that I was, uh, I was learning. And sketchnoting has really helped me with that because I have to go through that process and attach an image to what the person is saying. And I've found that I will, that image will keep coming back in my brain. It'll keep popping up and I, I'll remember those things, you know, months, even years after I create them because I've had to take it a step further. And then by creating that visual, it's like it gets printed in the notebook of my brain and it doesn't just disappear after, you know, a week later. That's yeah, pretty crazy, isn't it? It's um, there's something. I think there's something physical going on. So I wonder. And again, David, you're good to point out that this is you know one point of data, right? You, it'd be interesting to try in all these different ways. Like, is there something different about typing on keys versus using a pen and writing in a book, and your whole arm is moving and your body's involved in it? Like, you know, what what what's going on there? And I think the good news is it seems like there's lots of interest in researching this stuff. So I think maybe in the next 10 years, we'll have lots of stuff to back up or verify or debunk. 
ideas that we have. Um, and that, that's my hope anyway. This episode of Focus is brought to you by Setup, the app subscription service created by the developers of Clean My Mac. Setup is the Mac app suite that should have been. The makers like to think of it as an app buffet. You pay one fee and you gain immediate access to an ever-growing collection of now over 130 of the best Mac apps. They're all curated to make your day more productive. Set apps from MacPaw, so of course it has impeccable design, and it's modeled to be just as beautiful as the device it functions on. The collection of apps continues to grow, and so many of them are the apps I use every day. This includes apps like Ulysses, iStat Menus, Bartender, Better Touch Tool, BusyCal. The list just goes on and on. And it seems like every time I log in, there's another new app in there just for me. In addition to getting the apps you love, you're going to discover some you didn't even know that exist, but become very useful to you. With the apps and setup, there's no need to buy separate licenses or subscriptions for the apps. You just make your setup subscription, download them, and start using them. There are apps for every category, graphic design, coding, to-do lists, personal finance, audio enhancement, photo editing, travel, mail clients, you name it, they've got it. And there's a free one-week trial. Just go to setapp.com now to check out the apps and try it for free. Once again, that's setapp.com. And let them know you heard about it here on the Focused Podcast. Yeah, you mentioned this is getting big in education, but I also know that in education, there's a lot of emphasis on the digital devices, the one-to-one programs where you get an iPad or you get a Chromebook or something. So the schools that are implementing sketchnoting in education, are they doing this analog or are they doing it digital? It still seems like a mix. I think there's some um, digital stuff. I think the challenge always, even as much as uh, the digital tool makers are trying to make these cheaper. I think you can get into an iPad with a pencil um, as cheap as like three twenty nine or two ninety nine, something like that. It's still three hundred dollars a child. Where man, I can buy reams and reams of paper and flare pens for three hundred dollars for my kids, right? And they could just burn through that stuff. Um, another point of um, reference is I was in Fresno in California a couple of years ago, and there was a science teacher who brought me in to teach her her teachers. And what they do is something called sketchbooking, which I had not actually not heard of before. But what they do is they give students a sketchbook, like a nice sketchbook of some kind. And all through their learning through the semester, they're capturing that information and re, basically redrawing it as sketch notes in the notebook. And as I, I think I remember that they uh, had open book tests with it. So whatever you caught in, in that sketchbook, you could then use in a test. So it sort of uh, was wise maybe to really invest in your sketchbook and capture information that you thought might be useful because, you know, when test time came, you could open that book and find, if you could find it, it could be valuable. Um, and that teacher, Jennifer, just mentioned how how much more engaged her students were. And I saw some of the sketchbooks and they were pretty amazing for these, it was, uh, I think, high school kids, the stuff that they were capturing um, and information, the way they were laying out their information is really interesting. So I think it's still a mix. Um, you know, schools often don't have the biggest funding. So um, if they don't have the right tools, it might be easier just to use paper stuff because it's more approachable. And like you said, uh, David, at the Disney experience, you know, if you there's no eraser in the same way, you know, you draw something around, you just crumple up the paper and recycle it and get a new sheet. So it really kind of depends, I think, on the school district and their situation and their and their mindsets. Yeah, but also interesting thought 
So when you tell me that they have a sketchbook, I'm thinking a book with no lines in it. And what a difference that makes in the way the students would, would sketch note, as opposed to if you just put lines there, it would just become a copy book. Yes. Uh, the books they had, I think, were spiral bound or bound, and the pages were, if I remember right, it's been a little while. It may have been blank on one side and lined on the other. I'm not sure. Um, but there may have been some structure. I, that'd be a good question for my friend Jennifer. Yeah. It, it, I, I like the idea of, of finding new ways for kids to learn and using the science to make it easier. I mean, when we were kids, at least when I was a kid, we were just expected to memorize what they told us and spit it back on an exam. And uh, I, I think that, you know, educators today are so much more farther along than they were back in my day. So uh, I, I hope that works. And now, Mike, tell us a little bit about your involvement with sketchnoting in education. I know in addition to, you know, this is actually becoming kind of a big thing, right? It is. And it's not something we expected. So when I wrote the book back in 2012, I uh, released it uh around 2012, 2013, you know, our target market was uh, user experience and other designers because those were the people that were doing it at that time. You know, user experience designers understand information, they're really into it. So it was a natural fit in that space. And we just hoped that maybe it would step beyond that space. And what uh, it took about four or five years and it seemed like somehow it got introduced into education and schools. Teachers were doing it. And in my experience, the typical process is a teacher will find this sketchnoting stuff. They get really excited. They'll start doing it in class, see results. They'll tell their principal, and the principal will get excited. Uh, and then the principal will tell their district, and then the district will reach out to me and say, hey, we understand you wrote this book on sketchnoting. Would you be willing to teach a workshop or do a keynote or talk to our teachers about this process? And I'll say, sure, sounds great. And then we'll work something out, and I'll come in and speak to, the, to them, uh, whether it's a a keynote, which I, I just did in New York um, this June, and then workshops to follow. Um, typically, workshops are the most sought after because, you know, there's application. It's professional development that they can use immediately. So uh, it's it's pretty exciting. I think the teachers themselves, in some cases, have students that come to them and want to do sketchnoting, and the teachers don't know how to do it themselves. So in, in the case of Fresno, there were a few teachers that were there that had allowed their students to use it because they saw it was effective and then simply wanted to do it themselves so they could better understand it and think, well, how can I, if my kids are wanting to do this and it's effective, how can we integrate this into our curriculum so it's just part of what we do? And then we open it up to all the students. So that, that's a typical um, experience that I would have with an education uh, area a district or something reaching out and, and wanting to work with this. And I if you go on Twitter, you just see teachers all over the place that are starting to integrate this into their classes as young as, I think, like fourth grade. Fourth grade kids are starting to do this, maybe even younger. Wow. Um, so it's kind of amazing. That must make you feel so good when you find out about this stuff. It does. I mean, as I said, I hadn't planned on it, but knowing that there's this whole this whole generation of kids who will go through school thinking it's okay to draw and that I can actually apply it and use it in a way that makes me remember things and communicate things and understand things better. Like that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. I've, I've young kids, so it's doubly amazing because they're starting to get interested in it now as well. And I can see how valuable it can be very personal in a personal way. Yes. Yeah, boy, it's a big trick. And one thing to get a kid to be interested in sketching, it's another thing to be have your dad be the sketch note guy and get interested in it. So often, <laughs> you know, kids will be like, "Well, no, nah, that's not cool. That's what dad does." 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's what my teenage that's what my teenage son he he sort of you know um I'm, he likes it but he doesn't want to admit too much. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, so this show is called Focused, and we we try to talk about keeping your eye on the ball. And I think one of the challenges for sketchnoting. Uh, people that are curious to maybe start doing it, maybe the next time they're sitting in a meeting or at a conference and they want to try to sketch note. How do you find that balance of focus between, you know, summarizing and sketch noting when you're listening to and getting so hung up on your drawing and making it clever looking that you stop listening? You understand what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, one of the things that I try to teach people who are new to it, let's say someone who's like, I'm kind of interested in this thing and I want to try it. One of the approaches or the, the techniques that I try to teach is maybe you need to approach it more slowly than you think. I think sometimes when I teach the workshops, people will try and do sketchnoting and they'll give up on writing completely. They'll just be drawing images like, no, no, that's, that's really not the point. I still want you to write. So what I often recommend is continue to write what you do. And maybe if you're using paper or good notes or whatever, instead of using the whole space for writing, Maybe limit yourself to two-thirds and then leave a third maybe on the right or the left, depending on if you're lefty or righty. And then allow the information to sort of process as you're taking your notes. And as you, if you see images or there's something on a slide that you find interesting, you've now got a column that's set aside for visualization that you can use and start to put images in that relate to the things that are in the text. And maybe even you know connect those with arrows or something to the text that it's related to. That's a really good way to start that's not too imposing. You don't feel like you have to do amazing art. You're just simply visualizing in a column and then work from there slowly, try different layouts and start integrating the images into your text a little bit more. I think it's always good to start slow and, and see what develops rather than um, trying to, to be too aggressive and uh, doing things that you see. So I think that's sort of what you're identifying with like bullet journaling stuff, right? You see these amazing spreads and but, you know, someone might have spent three hours making that spread and, you know, you could get a lot of tasks done in those three hours. So maybe it's not worth it to you to do that kind of detail, right? So yeah. um, always approaching it that way to be practical. I just, I'm a really practical person. You know, when I teach, I teach a concept and I want to, I want people to apply it immediately because that I feel like is where you start seeing application and integration. Um, and that's just focusing on slowly integrating it in, seeing where it fits and just following the flow. Kind of like what you did, you know, with you, using those in courtrooms, right? You found something that fits you and uh, you made it work in a way that made sense to you. And one of the hacks I do with sketchnoting when I'm sketchnoting a live person is I may start a diagram, just kind of get the space for it. I'll draw the initial box or square or whatever but I'll move on. And then when the presentation is over, I'll go back and make it look pretty, if that makes sense. And I find that that step of going back and finishing the diagrams, while I'm doing that, I'm looking at the words I wrote and thinking about what was said. And it's almost like a way of just like hammering home in my brain, whatever I just heard. It, it actually, it's a review method, really. And, um, and I find that really useful. That's a term that I call staking. So like, it's almost like putting a stake in the ground. And that usually that the question for that one comes, what if someone's speaking too fast or there's too much information and I can't keep up? Well, my response is, well, I'll use a staking technique where you sort of start the first bits of the, com the comment or the idea, and then you sort of guesstimate how much space you might need to finish it and then jump to the next line and continue with the next idea. And you can 
keep on doing it. The same kind of an idea, you sort of block out space for it. And then yeah. you have to intentionally come back right away and sort of fill it in. Or if you have access to the person who's giving the idea, walk up to them and say, hey, you talked about this idea. I started writing this down. Can you explain more detail? And then you fill in that space. So that's a really great technique, David, that uh, will help you keep up, but also, as you said, is a good reflection technique as well. How do you typically lay out your sketch notes? I know there's a lot of different methods people can use, but it's not as simple as, you know, you text on a screen, you go from left to right, you go down a line, you repeat. I think um, because I came from a word space, even though I'm a designer, I like I like words, I like writing. Um, I My default is typically left to right, top to bottom. So like a like a book and a page. Um, I call that a linear format. So you're just going page after page. Uh, but often I'll challenge myself. So one of the next ones I might try is called radial. It's a lot like a mind map, which I know David is really into, right? So you have the central idea in the middle of the page. And then you work your way out radially and have information sort of circling that central idea. It doesn't have to be symmetrical. It can be offset. Um and that's another way to do it. And then maybe a third one that I like to use is a path uh, layout. So that's an idea where a, something would start in one location and sort of follow a path of information down to another location on the page. So it really depends on what the content is, or maybe I'll challenge myself, like I'm going to try and do a path sketch note today, and maybe I'll sort of imagine it in my mind and then start, start laying the information in as I go. But I would say the linear format's a good place to start because it's something everybody, at least in the West, knows, you know, top to bottom, left to right. And then as you go along, you can sort of challenge yourself to these other layouts as you find them interesting. Or um, maybe one other I can mention is um, skyscraper. And this is the idea if you're in a, a panel of, say, three or four people, that you could have columns on the page and maybe a little drawing of each person in that column. And as they say things, you just write it in their columns. So you've got some built-in structure that you can work with. So as you can see, all these layouts are sort of practical ways to break up the information to make sense to the content that you're trying to capture. Sure. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the different styles fitting the different types of information that you're trying to capture. We've talked about a few different use cases for sketch notes. You and I use them for sermon notes, take them for note taking in class. David, use them for legal, legal uses. Uh, what are some other scenarios where you would recommend people consider using sketchnotes? Well, there's uh, a variety of these. I go in a little more detail in um, the sketchnote workbook, which is the second book, uh, because I felt like there was lots of ways they could be applied. One would be ideation. So if you're on a whiteboard and you're coming up with solutions, you can use these same sketchnoting techniques uh, as some to capture the things that are going on inside your head instead of what someone else is saying. So if you're thinking of ideas, you can start using a whiteboard or sheet of paper to capture those ideas and see what they look like, right? Write notes around them, draw images of what you're thinking. Uh, I think a lot of times getting it out on paper like that allows you to see what's in your mind. Uh, often things just sort of fill up in your head and you can't really see them for what they are. I think the other aspect of that would be in team settings where you're doing ideation uh, because by putting it on the paper or a whiteboard or whatever the surface is, um, you get a group of people all looking at the same thing. I think there can be situations where you have this illusion that you agree on things when you talk about them, but when you see it on a on a board or a page, it becomes a little bit clearer. It means something a little different. So you can start seeing, oh, we actually aren't agreeing. We disagree about something. Uh, and having that visualization will help. Um, 
another one that I can think of immediately is uh, creating processes. So in the context of uh, being focused, right, if you have uh, workflows or processes that you're trying to, to build or improve, you could use these techniques to draw out that process, almost like a flowchart, right, to, to capture these things one step after another. But maybe you're actually drawing the parts of the process to see them more visually. And that can be something as a means to an end, right? You might not, you might not need that necessarily, but it would help you understand where can I pull something out of the process and drop something else in? Like I just got a new MacBook and I have to change all my cables to USB-C. Well, what does that look like? Well, let's do a process map and see how all the pieces fit together and what I need to buy. So that's, those are a couple of things. And then the last thing I would say is experiences, you know, going on travel and food and those kind of things are just fun things you can do. Yeah, I do a one similar to your process uh, sketch note with um, with uh, processes for like when I'm publishing a field guide or when I'm working on a transaction for a client, I will sketch note across a two page spread. So you know, usually you think about this as a one page thing you're going to do, but if you've got a notebook that you open wide, it's actually wider than it is tall, and mm-hmm. I just draw a line across the center from left to right and. It's essentially a timeline. And then I, I sketch note the process that way. And sometimes I share it with the client. Sometimes I don't, depending on how bad it looks at the end. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> but it, it gives my head just the, the process of sitting down and sketch noting out what's going to happen in what order for, once again, it's just, I, I, you know, I was thinking about, is it the pen and paper? Is it the digital? I think what it is for me, perhaps, is the slowing down that comes with mm-hmm. pen and paper. It's just it just forces my brain to linger more as I'm going through the motions of the pen strokes. And I think that helps a little bit. Um I don't know. I, I like you, I'm super interested in the science on this and I want to see where it all goes. But but mm-hmm. the the process of slowing down to write, to draw, um, does give your brain a little more time to to linger on these things. I like the phrase you used, Mike, about seeing what is in your your brain. I forget exactly how you you put it, but I think that's very much in line with your point, David, of lingering on these things. Like you don't really know where these connections are going to be made or what this picture is going to look like, but your brain kind of does. And so you're giving it a vehicle for that to be expressed. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a great observation. I think it's just another tool that you can express yourself. Sometimes words are just not quite adequate and being able to draw the the ideas and have the words together is a, is a big benefit. I think... Um, your your observation about slowing down, David, is interesting too because I think it's um, is it Neil Gaiman and uh, Neil Stevenson? I think both have written whole novels longhand, like the first draft longhand, and have found that it actually slowed down their thinking in a way that was really positive uh, to sort of contemplate the story in a way that they didn't quite do when they were keyboarding it. Right? They yeah. save keep they save keyboarding for a second step. So it would be interesting to kind of dig up what their takeaways were from just writing text you know they weren't really necessarily drawing anything either but it's the same kind of process in a way yeah i saw i was up at the uh, was i think the museum of science fiction in seattle and they had the uh, neil stevenson's cryptonomicon cryptonomicron there which is an excellent book by the way but it was like it was like three and a half feet tall of paper that he just wrote wow. out longhand you know his books are very long. <laughs> That's one of the <laughs> This episode of Focused is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next big idea. 
They give you a unique domain. They give you great award-winning templates to choose from and more. You can use Squarespace for just about any project, whether you want to create an online store with either physical or digital goods, whether you want to create a portfolio of your work, whether you want to create a blog and start publishing your thoughts, or even if you want to start a podcast. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do any of that with nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of the technical stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. You just have to worry about making your thing. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name that matches your idea. And all of those award-winning templates that I mentioned, they're all beautifully designed, and you can swap them in and out very easily until you find the one that is just right for you to show off your great ideas. I really cannot recommend Squarespace enough. It's kind of mind-boggling to me that I spent so much time trying to learn HTML and CSS back in the day when I was doing my own web development. And now you can just sign up for Squarespace and get a site that looks better than anything the experts can build. In fact, a lot of places use Squarespace that you might be surprised by. It's always interesting to me when I go to a new website, I look at the source code for the website just to see if it's been built on Squarespace. And a surprising number of those great standalone websites are in fact built on Squarespace. There's just no way that you can tell because they look so good. And once you apply your own branding, your own colors and your own content, you tweak everything just the way that you want it. You get a great, unique looking website that communicates your message. And that is why so many people, when they need a website for an event or they need to create something quickly that looks good, they use Squarespace. I've even done that myself. Even though I know how to build these technical websites and to connect all the pipes, sometimes I just don't feel like doing it. And so when my church had an outreach and we needed a a webpage for the basketball tournament that we were hosting for the community, I used Squarespace because I knew I could get it up and running in about an hour with everything, including a digital signup form that connected to Google Drive so we could take team registrations. So I'm going to tell you now what I tell everybody who comes to me and asks for help building a website. Just go to Squarespace and get started. Put an hour into it and see how far you get. You'll probably be blown away by the results. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code focused to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash focused and the code focused to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. You know, one of the things, Mike, that you've done, this is sort of related to sketchbooking, but I think it's super useful and something that focused listeners might be interested is the idea of your logbook. And you've written about it on Medium, and I've seen some stuff. Could you describe that for us? Yeah, that's um, that's something that's been very successful for me for the last it's four years now. Wow, it's been a little while. Um, I got into bullet journaling. I'm a friend of Ryder Carroll uh, through different ways we've crossed paths, and he encouraged me to try uh, bullet journaling. So I have. And one of the things that I noticed was I needed something a little more specific around time management. And my solution was, well, what if I added some kind of a symbol or a, an area in my page to sort of identify that. And 
to get into the, the reason why I do that is I don't want to spend all day in Outlook. I try the best I can to get away from Outlook so I can focus on design or whatever it, I'm do, whatever it is I'm doing. And so one of my solutions is what if I sat down in the morning and I made a little bar along the left edge of my notebook? So it's like probably a quarter inch wide and it's the length, the vertical length of the left side of the page. And then I'm using a dot grid page. I sort of mark it off as uh, four, four dot chunks. So that equals about an hour. So I can break it into 15-minute chunks, I guess. Um, you can see this if you go on on the article on Medium. And so basically, I, I represent my workday in this left column. I'll put all the meetings that I'm attending. And then if there's time I want to block, up, block out for doing activities, I'll block that out. In the middle of that that page... I'll have all my tasks, both for work and maybe things personally that I might have to do running errands or what have you. And that sort of consumes the left page. And lately what I've been doing, and it's not reflected in the Medium article, is I'm using the right page as a logbook. So what I found was I was uh, doing the, the, the plan bar on the left page and the right page, and I would have my tasks in the middle. But I kept running out of space to write notes in the space that was remaining on those pages. So I simply only do the bar on the left side now. I have my tasks on the left page. And then on the right page, I write uh, the log and anything I'm thinking about, meetings I'm attending, whatever it is, I can do sketch notes in that space. It's just a full page for me to capture information. And I find it super valuable. I carry the book everywhere I go for, for work and all my meetings. I'm constantly writing things down. And sometimes the log page will go empty. So I'll flip back to that and use it for capturing ideas. If I'm running out of space or I just happen to have some space there. So having this analog tool, like you said, making me slow down and think a little bit has been really valuable and it gets me a little bit away from the computer um, all the time. I'm, you know, we're, we're so much on screens. I think it's nice to have a little respite. So an interesting little play I did on this was I did it. And um, so I, I have it in the morning the the bar that represents and and so if you're gang if you're listening what he's done is he's made a bar down the page from top to bottom and then he can easily block off what his appointments are for the day and what his block time intentions are uh, but what I did is I made a second one at the end of the day or as the day goes on showing what actually happens and it's mm, that's I, a great idea it's interesting to see I don't do it every day but it's uh, it is interesting to see how you know plans go awry sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right so this is a dot grid page you've got here which you mentioned mm -hmm. you use in constructing the bar on the the left side of this mm -hmm. this diagram in the, the medium post which we'll we'll link to uh is that your preferred method then is that the dot grid or do you like the plain paper and what kind of are you using and then what's the thought behind it with the sketchnote idea book. Interesting. So I do like the dot grid. I like the dot grid because it's enough structure to give me structure, but not too much to be in the way. So if you compare that to a square, a squared notebook, you know, with crossing lines, um, it can get kind of noisy, right? That was my preferred notebook for a long time. And then when the dot grid started to appear, I made the switch. So the beauty is, is that I can use a ruler, or I can use a you know, line my hand on the left edge of the book and actually draw the line along those dots to build my bar. Um, and then you can use the dots too for points on the tasks that I want to do too. So it gives me enough structure. So if I want to draw and use them, they're there for me, but they're light gray and they sort of set back a little bit. And I use that for my planning. When I do sketch noting, 
if I'm going to do intentionally sketch noting in a notebook, um, I like to have blank paper. Um, I'll do it in dot grid if I have it, of course, but my preference is to have blank paper and I like really thick paper that can handle lots of ink. Um, one of the challenges I found, I couldn't ever really find a notebook that had all the elements that I really wanted together in one notebook. I would find good paper, but maybe I didn't like the cover or this one I liked the cover, but I didn't like the paper. So um, through through connections with uh, uh, project partner Mike Shiano, who's a notebook guru, we're teamed up and we're producing a sketchbook designed for sketchnoting. So that's that we call that the sketchnote idea book. It looks really cool. I have to admit, I looked at the the video before we we started recording. Uh, there's a couple of reference things in there which are really nice. I feel like those would be great helps for somebody who's just getting into the idea of sketchnoting. But do you want to explain a little bit about some of the design choices you made with that sketchnote idea book? Sure, sure. I would be happy to. So first off, I have to say I. I really beat up notebooks. <laughs> I'm always throwing them in bags and tossing them around. And um, I'm like a notebook's worst nightmare because I just really use them fully. Um, most notebooks are pretty good, but I've had cases where I was in the middle of a sketch note session and the, the binding started coming apart and the pages were coming out. And so, you know, I would admit that I'm pretty tough on a sketchbook. So I'm probably a good testing point <laughs> for whatever we would build. Um, so that was sort of the driving force behind it was, can we build something that's got all the elements and it's tough? So I would say the heart of the Sketchnote idea book really is the paper inside. We um, we found a really great paper. Mike Shiano, my notebook uh, Yoda, basically found this paper and uh, we produced several prototypes that we shared with a few people, including me, to really battle test these things. It's, it's like 180 GSM, so it's kind of thick, uh, but it's not too toothy. So it's if you're using a pen or especially a fountain pen, it's got a real nice smooth feel. And it's so thick that most inks will not bleed through or even show through to the backside, which is really important for sketchnoting when I would lay heavy ink on a page. Of course, you know, a Sharpie or a Copic marker that's using alcohol, those things are going to bleed through because alcohol just evaporates right through that. So there are some limitation, of course, but um, it's got really heavy paper in the center. Um, And then to address the the toughness, um, it's a hardcover notebook that's sewn. It's got a sewn binding. So all the the pages are sewn together and then they're wrapped in a polymer cover. So it's sort of like this soft touch polymer, um, I don't know, fabric, I guess. It's not even fabric. It's material that wraps around the hardcover and it provides a level of protection uh, that's, I think, better than some of the, the, uh, the other paper type stuff that you might see wrapped on a notebook. Um, Two of the prototypes that I had, one I had for about a year and I, I battle tested it, took it everywhere, threw it in my bags and stuff. And when I look at it next to the the brand new prototype, it's hard to tell them apart. It's kind of amazing that it's held up as well as it has. So that's that sort of covers the outside. And then as you mentioned, there's sketchnoting references, how to do typography, how to draw with the five elements, uh, layouts for sketch notes in the back. And then it's got a pocket and uh, bookmarks. So you can sort of keep track of what you're doing. So it's again. It's um. It's more of the focus on making it a balanced book. I'm I'm a real big believer in balanced tools that have a good balance of all the different elements. So I felt like this achieved sort of the balance that I was aiming for in a sketchbook, and uh, we're really happy with how the prototypes have turned out. And now we're doing a Kickstarter that launches on September fourth, and trying to gather people to sign up to our VIP mailing list so they can get access uh, one day before everybody else if they sign up and get a chance to back it and make it happen. 
I'm still trying to wrap my head around 180 GSM. So that's like um, a paperweight. Like it my, is, yes. My favorite pa- my my favorite paper is the um, Rhodia paper, which I think is 90. This is double mm-hmm. that. That's it's double that, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> crazy. It's crazy, yeah. It's it, And the odd thing is, is when you feel the paper, it doesn't feel, I mean, it feels thick, but it doesn't feel outrageously thick. It's not like like uh, index cards per se, but it's, yeah. it's kind of approaching that. I think, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something special. I, it's hard to describe. I know on the website, uh, for the, the idea book, we have, um, a new video we just posted, uh, I think it was earlier this week with a friend, Jim, who's a huge, uh, fountain pen fan. And so yeah. I brought one of the prototypes and he just drew with 12 different pens and he was pouring ink on and flipped over the page. And it's, it was like just starting to show through on the backside it's yeah. kind of amazing so yeah it, it is really impressive and and the way you demonstrate it um because you're mike grody of course you you kind of sketch noted on pages with all sorts of different inks and then you took pictures of the backs of the pages so you can see the right. ghosting and the and the bleed through to the extent there is any and there's very little um boy it, that's great I, and it makes so much sense i mean i feel like you should have a notebook to go along with all these techniques you've taught everybody and a book generated just for sketchers that has two ribbons in it. And it's like, it, it's a just, I can tell you thought about every little detail. Yeah. We, we spent about two years really going in the skunk works and building prototypes, testing them. Yeah. Uh, we didn't just decide last week to produce a notebook. It's been, it's something we've definitely been working on for a while to get it right. And we feel like um, we really hit, hit this one out of the park and we hope other people will too. Yeah, well, that's going to be, when this show publishes, it will be already on uh, Kickstarter, so you can go check it out. And there's yeah. a website, sketchnote idea book, all one word, of course, dot com. That's a pre- great place to go. I think, uh, folks, if you're at all interested in this, I strongly recommend checking out Mike's sketchnote handbook, which was kind of where it all started. And that's kind of Mike showing you how to sketchnote and giving you some great tools and help to get started. If you want to go to the next level, there's the sketchnote workbook. That's the one where you can see some terrible sketches by a, a lawyer at the end. <laughs> um, and, and then I think they're I, awesome. You get the idea book at the end and you're good to go. I mean, uh, th- this is something I think that can help people. And uh, I'm so happy that you were willing to come on the show today, Mike. Well, thanks for having me. Um, we hope that it's helpful too. You know, we built it because we wanted to make it happen. But I think um, often in the particulars, uh, you get the universal as well. So I think that's. We feel like that's the case with this. All right. Well, everybody, uh, Mike Rohde, you can find over at roaddesign.com, R-O-H-D-E-S-I-G-N.com. Uh, I, lo- I love that, you know, the overlapping name. That works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find you at sketchnoteideabook.com. And then also, don't you have a different site for just sketchnoting? Yeah, so uh, back in 2009, it's shocking that it's been 10 years, but I started to see that there were lots of sketch notes floating around, but no one place to really see them. And so I thought, well, what if I created a site uh, to, to capture that? Other people's work, not so much my own stuff. Yeah. So I created sketchnotearmy.com, and that's really a showcase of other people's work. And we have a podcast where we interview many of those people and hear what's, you know, the story behind the sketch notes. So uh, we've been having a lot of fun with that site for the last 10 years, and we intend to keep on going with that. And are you, are you active on Twitter too, Mike? Yeah. So on Twitter, pretty much any social, if you're going to find me there, it's going to be uh, Road Design, R-O-H-D-E-S-I-G-N, Twitter, Instagram, micro.net or microblog, I think is uh, the same. So that's where you'll find me. 
Well, Mike, thank you so much for beating the drum for sketchnoting for all these years and helping so many people out. And, uh, and thanks for coming and visiting us today. Thanks, David. Thanks, Mike.